this is a bonus episode in which I am talking to one of my very best friends about her life with dogs and some other things too. This is a conversation with Daisy Carrington. We've been friends since we were kids. We both grew up to be journalists and are now both working in other areas. I hope you enjoy our lively conversation. I miss you. I miss you too, my love. We won't be gone for too long. I mean, I know it's a couple months, but it will fly by. So I feel like I, since I'm going to record this, I feel like I need to explain to anyone listening why I uh, want wanted to talk to you as you are not someone who has a dog <laughs> <laughs> or works with dogs. Uh, or I don't think you have even very strong feelings about the things that <laughs> I do as a dog trainer. But um, as as you know, you are one of my oldest and best friends and I will take any excuse to mm-hmm. chat with you. But yeah. um, uh, a few months ago, back when people went out and did things, um, you told me that you went and did a story at The Moth. Uh, yes. And I was sad that I didn't get to go see it. And also, sad that you didn't win, um, that you came in second, because uh, you yeah. are such a great and hilarious storyteller that I, I'm sure you should have won. So I, <laughs> I thought, well, <laughs> what'd you say? I did feel robbed. You, I'm sure you were robbed. And, <laughs> and I, we just like haven't had a moment where I could be like, sit down and perform it for me. <laughs> so I thought, all right, well, if I can, like, have you on the podcast, then it'll be more of, like, an occasion, and and uh, you will be forced to tell me your your story, which I guess I, I've heard because I've just, I've known you for so long, but I haven't heard, like, the perfect telling of it, so I don't, if you're up for it, but in order to warm up and to justify having you here, I thought we should talk a little bit about dogs first. Sure. Um, so, um why don't you tell me about um, about Zeb? Zeb. Well, uh, Zeb was I, I, and I think you have, probably have to talk about your dad in order to talk about Zeb and about I your. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and I both like. I, it, we I think one reason why uh, we became friends quickly when when we met. Um, when well, but just to back up, we met when when we were seven, and we were, took like a, a, a acting class together outside of school. And I thought you were, I mean, you know this, but like yeah. I thought you were just like I couldn't, I couldn't get my mind around you. You were just such an enigma. You had, you looked like a little like cherub, and you were like puffy sleeves, and and called your mom mummy, and you. <laughs> You were just like this, like hilarious kind of weird cartoon character, and uh, to me. And I used to see you like in the neighborhood with your mom, and we went to different schools. And so, like, but I remember saying to my mom, like, "That's that girl." And uh, and then first day of ninth grade, we ended up. You ended up at the school I was at, and um, and I accosted you, and we've yeah. been friends ever since. That's that was very exciting. Memory. You know, like going to a new school, and you walk in, and someone just comes up to you and goes, "I know you." 
<laughs> I know you, but I didn't really know you. I just knew, I knew the person I thought you were, but I didn't really know you. But uh, I think we both had like unusual New York City childhoods growing up with uh, eccentric, divorced yes. parents. But you, tell tell us about your yeah. eccentric dad and Zeb. Yeah, I um well, my uh, my father was a screenwriter, which actually uh enters into the moth story somewhat. But uh you know, he was uh definitely a larger than life character and um he uh loved a good story, but that's all beside the point um as far as Zeb is concerned. So Zeb was his dog and I mean, I mean he had a lot of incredible stories about Zeb, but you know, I always found Zeb to be like just a very special dog like it's hard to explain, like almost kind of supernaturally special. You know, he was just he like, was he was a pit bull, right? No, he was a, an American Staffordshire Terrier, which you oh, know, okay. similar. I think is the same difference, but I, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely a different, like, different physical characteristics. Um, and Did he, he get Zeb when before you were born or after you were born? After I was born. Okay, so yeah. he and your mom. Um, so your Daisy's dad, your dad, he looked like Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. He was like a Hollywood writer. And had this this uh, Staffordshire Terrier, and yeah, I can't picture like him and your mom. Who I can't picture your mom, who I would characterize as like Auntie Mame is a good kind of you know she was Auntie Mame or like Ab Fab, (laughs) absolutely fabulous. You know, I over the years I've kind of come across letters between the two of them, and like I I can see it more in their youth. I can kind of place them together and. You know, apparently they were crazy for each other, but it wasn't really. Um... No, it's I can't picture them with the dog together. Oh. I could picture them together. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, no, my my. I, apparently, they did have a dog together, not Zeb. Um, I know my dad got her my mom a dog once named Sasha. I think it was Sasha. And my dad's telling of of the experience is that you know she really wanted a dog, and he found this dog he absolutely loved, and he kind of wanted it for himself. I guess they weren't living together yet. And he dropped off the dog and he said it was the strangest thing that ever happened. They both looked at each other and they just simultaneously took a, each took a step backwards and just had no chemistry. And so he was ecstatic because he really loved this dog. And this is one, um, in addition to Zeb, um, Sasha was one of his great loves. And I think that he, you know, his dogs really were loves, you know. I mean, I think when he sort of would always tell me the stories of, of his dogs, I mean, it was like listening to someone talk about an, ex- an ex-wife, you know. It was... Um, yeah, so it, it it was it was very intense, and so I I mean an ex wife like that they actually like yeah maybe like a widow you know it's like a widower talking about like <laughs> um you know their their spouse that passed away and they never really recovered because um, of Jason we're talking about his ex wife as if she, he she was like a long lost dog love I would <laughs> right that might be you might be like oh, I don't know upset. Yeah, like, you know, alarm. But no, no, it was, um yeah, very much like a widower, you know, and, and you sort of, uh you know, to a certain extent, because obviously all the dogs um were eventually died. I mean, I think he had them from, you know, the entirety of their lives. I mean, he was a, a long, a long term serial dog owner. um And uh yeah, I mean, I remember and my mom would say that Sasha was never very warm towards her unless um Unless I think when she was pregnant, she said that Sasha was was bizarrely very warm towards her. I mean, I kind of almost imagine it like a housekeeper. What kind of dog was Sasha? Uh, I I don't know. I I'm imagining a golden retriever, but I don't think it was. But it, it was a, a light golden dog. But I'm not sure it was a retriever. But um, but Zeb back to Zeb. Zeb was an American Staffordshire Terrier, and um, 
and just uh, a very special dog to me. You know, I uh, remember many kind of cuddles with Zeb, um, you know, in, in the house and, uh, and he did just seem very, uh, very exceptionally bright. And I know my dad, you know, when he got Zeb, he, he wanted an American Staffordshire Terrier and he went to go look at some puppies and he saw Zeb nearby the puppies and sort of said, you know, thought the puppies were okay, but he was like, they couldn't be, um, you know, that couldn't, that magnificent dog over there can't be the, uh, the father of these puppies. And I guess whoever was selling the puppies were like, well, that's actually our neighbor's dog. And, and she treats him horribly. And, and if you want to go take him, <laughs> we'd absolutely welcome you to do it because, you know, she, she beats him basically, and she's not very good to him. So, um, so from what I understood, I mean, it's a weird story and it's kind of a typical story of my dad. I mean, I don't really, you know, he just took the dog <laughs> who belonged to someone else. And I think eventually the woman, you know, I, I think it was, um, a youngish kind of, I mean, from the story I was told, kind of drugged out woman and living in Topanga, California, you know, in Malibu and Topanga ranches, who basically said, you know, um, I mean, hey, uh, I, I hear you're running around with my dog calling him yours. And he sort of said, well, I hear that you're um, a horrible dog owner. And I, I don't think that you should have this dog. And I guess basically, she just you know, didn't fight it. I don't know. So it's, just, it's, it's a weird story. But, you know, an, among the That's things. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is really, it's, it is pretty nuts, but, um, you know, I mean, there was a lot of love between the two of them. I mean, he used to share ice cream cones with, with Zeb and that was a bit rough <laughs> for anyone who happened to witness that. You're like, Oh God, you know, I just, you know, he, he'd get a lick. Zeb would get a lick. You're just like, Ooh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was, um, and, and, and I did sort of always find, you know, he had a, the gentlest bite, you know, you could feed him. He was never, there's never anything aggressive about him. He just seemed like, I guess he seemed like a kindred spirit to me, you know, like I, I think I've always been a bit more mild mannered, you know, which is sort of uh, in contrast to my dad had a bit of a temper and my mom could be a bit, you know, um, hot blooded from time to time. So I think in kind of comparison to that, you know, having this sort of mild mannered kind of grounded, you know, kind of a very, very spiritual seeming dog, um, you know, in my midst, it was very comforting. So yeah, there was always something very spiritual seeming about Zeb. Aww. And Zeb had a love. Zeb had a a, a one great love named uh, Leona, I believe. It was another dog, and he would go meet her and, and pick her up from. Uh, I think she was at the motel that was um, that used to exist near my dad's house in Malibu, and um, you know, and, and would beat up other dogs, I guess, who would um, you know try and and court her. I mean, all very typical stories of my dad. And um, you know, one time when they were um, Zeb and her were sort of on their various adventures, she got hit by a car. And apparently Zeb just put his head down on her and stayed with her until I guess they were found, you know, but she, she died that way. So, and my dad told me that he was once telling a story about her. And at the very mention of her name, Zeb started to shake, um, started to convulse and, um, and basically just slunk down real low and kind of crawled into another room and, and, and couldn't even sort of handle hearing her name because he was so heartbroken. So, um, yeah, so those are just a couple of, of uh, Zeb stories, but he was, um, he was around for a long time. He, he was around until he was, uh, well, until he was very, very old, you know, so it, it was, it was a good long life um, with lots of, you know, being outdoors and swimming and climbing mountains. I mean, Malibu was brilliant and then eventually came over to the um, East coast, but yeah, he had a, he had a good long, long country rural life <laughs> do you think your dad ever thought about like dog behavior and dog training uh yeah my dad was definitely um he was a, a pretty dedicated dog trainer I mean I'm sure his methods would seem pretty old school 
compared to, you know, how, how dogs are trained today. Um, you know, it's just like with parenting, you know, I think a lot of parenting techniques are very old school, you know, when you think about what your friends are. There are a lot of, there's a lot of old school dog training that's still happening. Yeah. It's current. You know, I mean, so no, he was, I mean, Zeph was incredibly um, well-trained, incredibly obedient, really good with tricks. Like my dad was very good at teaching dogs tricks. Um, and I th- he just sort of had a natural rapport with both dogs and kids. But, you know, I mean, there was obviously still some sort of techniques, you know, like, I mean, I think every time he had a, a new dog, he would, he told me that he'd like put it on, on their back and stare into their eyes and basically just try to establish himself as the alpha, like things like that, you know, that are probably not necessary. But, um, you know, but yeah, he, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, uh, Zeb was definitely very. I think I, think I did cool. something like that to Amos when I first got him too. Yeah, right. You know, so it's. I mean, I don't know whether or not that's something that clearly you it works because he's a. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you had you had an iguana in high school. Oh yeah, was I it had... an iguana or it a bearded dragon? No, it was an iguana. Basically, when I was in nursery, I really it wanted a snake, and so my mom was like, "You know how you really wanted a snake when you were like a kid?" And th- at this point, I'm like 15. I'm like, "What?" When I was like in nursery, she's like, "Yeah, I got you an iguana." And I'm like, okay, so 15 years later, you got me the wrong pet. So I was like, I had no real, um, I didn't really have any uh, affinity towards the iguana. It it was a little bit of a nuisance. I didn't really like buying bugs to feed it, but it was sort of, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't want to be like ungrateful, even if it's a gift, a pet gift that you really have zero interest in. But uh, I think eventually the iguana was... um, was given to someone who, you know, outside of the city who had some space for it, who genuinely, you know, who had other iguanas and who liked iguanas. And, and I think that was probably a, a good, a good decision in the end. Cause it, it, it was absolutely. You went to a farm. Yes. Right. You went to a farm upstate. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? So what, here's a, here's a question about me. Yeah. What do you remember about like me and dogs? I mean, because I'm I'm sure like it was I, I'm guessing, I'm not sure, I'm guessing it was I, I always seemed like obsessed with dogs. Compared uh, I to you at least. Seem, I mean I, not obsessed with dogs. I mean you had Zeke when we were kids. Um and I know that you were very close to Zeke. Wheaton Terrier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I remember, I mean I remember um I mean I think Zeke was had that similar sort of comfort for you that Zeb provided for me because I you know I, I remember there being a time when you um had gotten in a fight with your mom and you came to our house my mom and my house with Zeke um, and I ran away with the dog <laughs> ran away with the dog yeah um I mean you went back <laughs> eventually but yeah you ran away with the dog um and so uh, I did I, I ran away from east 17th to what like east 53rd yeah yeah medicine town and, I must have uh, taken I must have taken I think I went I took him for a walk you took him for a I walk. Him for a walk. I told my mom I was taking him for a walk and then I just got in a cab and then and then I got to your house and then I was like, I had no idea what to do. Like, okay, now I've yeah. run away. <laughs> well, I can't remember that was if you spent the night or not. I know my mom called your mom and was like, you know, Annie's here. I think you should know. And your mom was like, no, she's not. She went for a walk. Um, but um, no, I, I remember your your mom was <laughs> your mom. Your mom was awesome. No. I remember like the three of us lying in bed no. being like, what oh, yeah, the phone do? was ringing and, and it was your mom and we were just like, <laughs> my mom's the adult. And none of us we all like cowered in the corner and like listened to the message. We're like, we're not going to get that. We're going to like, like, we're just going to like hang out with Annie for a bit. <laughs> like her mom can get her back later. 
like my mom's just like I don't I don't want to I don't want to deal with that right now I don't yeah, your mom's like I don't want to be involved in this well I mean I guess she had her bit like she called her and like Vicky was like oh she's not there and then you know then I guess when when your mom called back it was like uh <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I, I totally get where your mom was coming from yeah it was like no um, I'm not dealing with that right now um maybe oh, we can I love that later I love time. yeah no, um, so anyway, um, like I, I feel like my like interest in dogs was like a defining characteristic of my childhood, but it always felt like a little, like, I don't know, like I never felt like it was something to be proud of or like an interest to really like dig down into. It felt more like this sort of like this side thing that was like not quite shameful but like on the side of like like I I almost like dogs were like um baby blankets to me like I felt better when there was a dog around and like that felt I mean they are so comforting you know I mean I I do still see that and sometimes I see dogs and I almost think that that it's that they're Zeb you know like they stare at me and I stare at them with that sort of strange recognition that you it should be oh, well, it, to it, like, like a feeling in you that's similar to the feeling that you had with with Zeb yeah I mean it's just I think it's just when when someone you love passes whether it's a dog or a person like I think it's just sort of and, and you feel that warmth like in something else it's easy to kind of um sort of you know um project and kind of transcribe that other person in your mind I mean I remember when my mom passed I was like uh you know my aunt pat had a cat who was around long before you know like long before my mom had passed but i was like did she go in the cat is the cat now my i mean it's just like like i mean even though i knew it wasn't like there's that you know momentary thing you're kind of like just sort of looking for that presence in something else and so with zeb i remember once seeing a dog in the street years after he he died and just sort of thinking god there's just something so zeb about him like is it zeb what did you think when i told you i was gonna um become a dog trainer well it wasn't like there was like a grand coming out (laughs) there wasn't a grand coming out I okay I feel like I I, to me it felt like I was like telling people like I've decided to become a dog trainer (laughs) like it felt like a coming out I think like for me it it felt like um gradual like there was a progression you know I mean we were we were writing we were journalists um right we were increasing disillusioned understandably as we all I think every journalist I know kind of has become you know many of the journalists I know have kind of like myself have sort of switched over to um some some form of advertising or branded content or you know content strategy I am that but god knows what that means but you know I mean I, I think you were um as always ahead of the curve you know you you lost interest in it before I did and and uh, <laughs> You know, and, well, and losing interest isn't quite what I would say, but I know I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, like the, it, the, the benefits were no longer outweighing the 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 difficulties. Yes, and um, and so you started by taking you know some dog training classes, and you were you know you were getting really into it, but I don't think that you were. It was like it started kind of with like training Amos you know but I don't think it was like from my memory it wasn't like it started out as a a commercial endeavor necessarily you know I know you know you took them for a while maybe like while you were a journalist and it was like an interest or a hobby and then um and then you're doing some dog walking and then um 
and then I guess it all just, it just sort of kind of it made sense. It all kind of came together. I don't remember. Yeah, I, well, I, it's funny because like when I went to Karen Pryor Academy, and I remember telling pe- people, and you were, I guess you were living in Dubai at that time, yeah. I think. And yeah. it, it definitely followed like a period of like, I don't know, like a year of feeling like, oh my god, what am I going to do with my life? Like this kind mm-hmm. of like. Yeah. I mean, something that I think a lot of people have had at one point or the other in the last, <laughs> you know, certainly around then that was like, you know, the mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, 2010 craziness and now again. But um, but anyway, I remember at first thinking like, oh, OK, I'm going to become a dog trainer and like then I'm going to make money being a dog trainer. And this one guy I I knew who who was like an editor was like, oh, and then you're going to like write a memoir about the experience. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm just going to go to dog training school so I can make a living being a dog trainer. Oh God, uh, it's like a, like a editor kind of mentality. It's like everything is going to be a memoir or like some kind of like, like story book, you know, like, yeah, or store or something you can sell. Um, and I, I remember talking also to Kiki Ablon, who's the, an editor and, and writer who's now also a professional dog trainer and she and I made that transition around the same time and she said something like like I just want to be someone who does things I don't need to be someone who like writes about things and comments on things or something mm-hmm. like that in a way that made yeah. sense to me anyway but then um I mean of course then it was like a path from there to um school for the dogs from mm-hmm. graduating for one program and yeah. but anyway I guess I was just curious if it seemed like Oh, that makes sense that Annie's doing that, or if it seemed I mean, it like some out of the blue thing. I mean, it did make sense because I mean, Amos was like just so well trained, and like, and you had so much fun kind of training him all of these like in ways that were like really unique and like very you, um, and you know, so it it didn't seem like, yeah, it it didn't seem like out of the blue for sure, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, I just think you're very. Um, it's like very enterprising and very innovative. And I think it's just kind of really cool to sort of see all of the, the qualities that you have that like, you know, made you really great in journalism, but like, you know, project um, directed into an area that, you know, you really love and have a lot of fun with. And it just makes it like, um, you know, it just makes it like really interesting. And it's just kind of fun to see those instincts, you know, in this other much more positive kind of, you know, place in society you know because I mean sometimes you know I mean look I have a lot of sweet of you thank you absolutely and I have a lot of great respect for journalism you know I think particularly in this day and age when they're like being like demonized you know but you know sometimes to be a journalist you know it it does feel like a sorrowful kind of profession you know I mean there's many different kinds of journalists but you know there can be a part of it that just doesn't feel like you're spreading joy in any way, shape or form, you know, yeah. so to kind of be in, in, in a profession where it, it is about spreading joy. And I just think it's, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's much, it's, it's just, it's important to make that transition. I just think it's, you it's, know, you know, it's, it's true. I, I've never thought about it in that way, but it definitely feels like a better fit in that way. And like, I, I, yeah, I have great respect for journalists, but I felt like I was never, you know, moved by like a feeling of, I mean, I think, I think probably you too. Like I was never moved by a feeling of like mission and passion. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was moved by trying to make a living and like, I liked writing and I liked reporting. Like I liked all the parts, but there wasn't some like, like, like actual fire of, I mean, and I, you know, I liked the like glory of the byline or whatever, but it, eh, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It was yeah. um No, absolutely. But now now I feel like, oh, like I like I can't not be passionate about this thing. Like it's mm-hmm. too and I guess they're, you know, journalists, I mean, thank goodness, must feel passionate about like finding the truth and finding the great story and all of that. And glad those people are doing it. And yeah, I hope somehow they're making a living. No, for sure. I, 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 but I think all of them should just leave what they're doing and become dog trainers. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's hear, let's hear your moth story. Okay. Um, in all of its glory. I'll, and I'll try not to interrupt you because we can just pretend it was actually, it's actually the moth. Absolutely. So when I was eight years old, I became a lone shark. I mean, I'll admit it wasn't a natural fit. I've always been short and I couldn't do one pull up on the monkey bars. So my upper body strength wasn't really up to snuff. Plus, I couldn't ride a bike to chase after anyone who might have defaulted. So really not a great fit. But I got the idea from my from my dad. Uh, He took me down to the bank to open my first savings account and to learn about the concept of interest. So when the bank teller showed me a calculator of what my $100 investment would be in a year, I, I, I wasn't too impressed. You know, I kind of thought, I can get a better rate on my own. So basically, I started peddling to my neighbors. I went door to door, but instead of selling Girl Scout cookies, I was selling a very reasonable $100 loan at the exceptional rate of 10% interest a month. Um, so yeah, I, I just really wanted a very fast return. Um, and I remember one of my neighbors basically saying like, that, those are mafia rates, but I was not put off. <laughs> so, Wait, um, how old were you? How old were you? Eight. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. You were eight? Yeah. yeah. No, you, can and you, under, you understood like percentages? Well, yeah. I mean, my dad went, you know, took me to the bank and, and basically they were like, you know, had a calculator and my, well, my dad was very big into teaching me these things, like opening my savings account, like was a way to understand percent. So, you know, um, oh. so yeah, you know, I did yeah. you have a passbook for your bank account. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was very, it was a, it was a while ago. So back then yeah. you give you a passbook. I have that too, where they like printed out every line on, in the little booklet. Yeah. 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 To, like balance everything. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, at 10% interest a month, uh, I didn't get too many takers. So, uh, however, there was one, a charming next door neighbor who it would later turn out was one of England's most notorious society conmen. And he went by the name of Count Guy de Mortfort. So um, even then at eight, I sensed that Guy was a high risk loan. Uh, you know, there, there was something a little off about Guy. He had a lot of stories about his life that um I mean, even then, I mean, now they're like really suspect, but even then I was like, where was this again? Malibu? Yeah, this was, this is my dad's uh, place in Malibu. So, um, so yeah, he was the next door neighbor, um, on a, a property next door and, uh, and he was name again, Guy de Montfort. Yeah. <laughs> Guy de Montfort. <laughs> um, so you know, some of his stories, uh, he was a secret agent. Uh, he fought off two Siberian tigers uh, I think with his bare hands, like it was like crazy. Did he um, tell you these stories? I mean, not like, I mean, not sat me down personally, but there's always stories. Like he was always kind of holding court, you know? And um, I mean, in, in the sort of community we lived in, it was uh, kind of like, I mean, it was, it was very British. There were a lot of British expats. Um, the landlady and the landlord were a couple. They were British. And um, 
they, you know, so they would always have like all of the the tenants over for tea, and it was, it was, you know, in their exquisite Malibu garden. So it was, it was uh, this sort of strange little little life. Um, and he was often holding court, and he would, you know, tell these stories. And I think oh, another one was, um, you know, he was a target of the royal family because he like knew too much about them, and that's why he fled to America. I mean, it was all like you know so crazy and I, I think he had like a biography like an autobiography we were reading parts of and there was this one bit where he, he talks about like you know his family being um killed by gorillas and I was like that's not true. <laughs> like and and I I thought that that it meant you know because I was eight I had thought it meant like gorillas is in like the monkey but it was uh gorillas you know like um g-u-e you know like militias um and my right, you know, got it. <laughs> yeah but I you know either way either way it, maybe they really were gorillas maybe <laughs> Um, so he was a great storyteller and that's basically, I think why my dad really kind of gravitated towards him, you know, I mean, he didn't trust him, but as a former screenwriter, you know, my dad's motto was always don't let the truth ruin a perfectly good story. So, um, <laughs> you know, so he liked Guy, you know, cause Guy was always reliable for a good story. Um, and the other thing to know about Guy, so this was something that was, um, really, uh, a prominent feature of his was that, uh, every time we saw him, he always had a different seemingly very serious very rich girlfriend you know like every week he'd have a different a different woman over and they were always kind of young and and you know it always seemed like they were like a real item and and um and they always seemed to have money so i understood from my dad that these women often loaned gee money so uh when gee offered to borrow my hundred dollars uh i i had second thoughts i was like i don't know um and i looked at my dad and i was kind of like should I do this? And he gets threw up his hands and he was like, basically was like, not my money. It's your decision, uh, which is kind of crazy. But <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess from his perspective, it was like a hundred dollars, you know, and, and maybe it'd be a good life lesson to me. Um, and so I agreed cause I was kind of greedy and I'm like, okay, like I do want that 10% interest. Um, you know, I want that money to like increase value as quickly as possible. So he wrote me a, a post-dated check for the amount, um, right then on the spot. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever, what the hell, like, he's my neighbor. I know where he lives. Like he's not going to get away, you know, by not paying me back. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get it eventually. Um, now it should probably come as no surprise that the check bounced. <laughs> like, uh, and it wasn't long after that, that, um, Guy got arrested. So I'm not saying I had anything to do with it, but he did get arrested at our house. <laughs> so, um, we invited him over for dinner and we went out for pre-dinner drinks. And when we returned, the FBI were waiting in our driveway. Uh, I think he was arrested for forging a U.S. passport. So they're dragging him away in handcuffs. My dad's running after the feds with a camera. He's like cursing at them and screaming and being like, this is a mistake. You know, we're going to sue you. And he's like, you know, flash, flash, taking pictures. Um, and I'm like totally flabbergasted. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I, you know, just to see like, someone get arrested like in real life um and these you know not even by police but by these like federal agents it was all like just crazy wow so then a little like literally five minutes later um one of my dad's best friends shows up uh may maybe 10 minutes later and this was someone who lived like at least a half an hour away and uh and he's like oh yeah we're having dinner with ben tonight and i was like i, I thought we were having dinner with Gee. he's like oh no Gee got arrested and it just kind of dawned on me then that my dad had double booked almost as if he knew he was going to get arrested. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So about a year later, I got a call from the TV show Hard Copy, 
who were doing a segment on ghee and they asked me to do an interview. So uh, the film crew um, met me at my, I, my mom had a, a hat studio, uh, a hat shop in, uh, in lower Manhattan. So they, uh, they agreed to meet you me. Were not, you were nine at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm nine. I just started at a new school. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah, so this film crew meets me at my mom's hat studio studio. Um, and, uh, after the interview, uh, they ask for a shot of me walking down the street wearing one of her hats. So uh, I'm like, okay. So, but you know, when the piece aired, uh, this is kind of how it went, you know, uh, it was you know, Guy de Mortfort had an illustrious career as a con man for years. He seduced beautiful women and broke their hearts. And their bank accounts. <laughs> Until he crossed paths with eight-year-old Daisy Carrington. So they're like totally changing me as like the like vigilante who like eight-year-old vigilante who like got got back. And then you're walking down the street wearing like a hat in your puff sleeves, I'm sure. Oh my god. No, I mean it's like it's like black and white footage. I'm like walking down the street. I'm I look like a crime-fighting blossom. <laughs> i'm like i look like i'm coming to get him you know um uh, i mean so i uh i don't know like i i never really knew how hard copy uh found out about that story um looking back on the segment because i still have it uh the photos of gee being arrested the black and white ones that my dad took they aired in the same segment which didn't really clue me into the fact that until like recently that maybe my dad set Gee up and then sold his story to the tabloids. Like never occurred to me until like a couple years ago. I'm like, is that what happened? And I mean, he always told me that basically the landlord next door had a really bad judge, you know, sense of character. He was a bad judge of character and he rented his two units out to two different con men and the other con man who had some other game, but didn't like Gee being on his territory this is the story my dad always told me. He was the one that called the feds and turned him <laughs> in because he wanted he wanted Gia off the property. He didn't want him like in his in his vicinity. Only one con man per property. <laughs> yeah. So did you ever look him up? Yeah, there's articles on him. I mean, he he's actually a bit kind of illustrious. There was like this whole profile on him. Um by uh, I mean, he 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 didn't stay in, in American jail forever. I mean, he was back in the UK at some point. He, he actually was kind of notorious. Like he, um, you know, so if you do look him up, I mean, you, you can find him online. There, there was, there had been stories written on him. I think that there might've been like a documentary on him at some point, you know? So it's, uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just me and my run in and hard copy. I mean, he, he was, I guess in the eighties, uh, you know, popular tabloid fodder, you know, particularly in the UK. Um, I, sn- I, mean, I didn't even sniff him out. I mean, I I had nothing to do with this, but it but the way a hard copy ran the story was definitely like it was me. I put him behind bars. Like I'm like this like eight year old incredible vigilante, and and not often, but there were a couple of times like in the hand, like few years after that that every now and then I would get recognized. Like I remember a couple of people would be like, I think I saw you. You like put this con man behind jail. I was like, uh, yeah, like it happened, I think it happened twice, but it was kind of very funny that it did. It was like, oh my God. Um, All right. Last, last Daisy story for this tangentially related dog. Yeah. Um, I, tell me about your relationship with um, uh, Mike TV. Oh my God. Um, okay, so I was um, 
as a kid, I was really terrified of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, the movie. The movie? Yeah. Now, I had a, as a super side note, I had a massive crush on Gene Wilder. So that's why oh I saw the movie, because I love Gene Wilder. Was like, I mean, I, I even wrote him a love letter as a kid, like, loved him. Um, so, you know, but it was the one movie I couldn't watch, because when I watched it as like a, like, I think, you know, I was like seven or something, uh, super terrified of it. Um, so, you know, overcoming this fear, like, I think when I was about 12, uh, some, fr- a friend of mine in middle school, we, you know, it kind of became our personal cult classic, like watched it again as an, you know, as a, a young, you know, preteen and was able to watch it and not be super terrified of, you know, blueberry girls and drowning in chocolate and all of the things that are genuinely scary about the movie and kind of appreciates campiness. Um, and so we basically watched it, you know, every, it's like, you know, you, you get obsessed with movies. So um, one of my friends and I, we watched it every week, every week we watched it and just, I don't know, became absolutely obsessed with it. And uh, I think we kind of had a, a crush on, on Mike TV because he was, you know, the, the, the actor at the time, you know, when it was filmed, he probably would have been about the age we were when we were watching it, you know, 13, 14. Uh, and he was handsome. So, you know, we were looking at the credits and then, we noticed that um, the actor that played Mike TV had a really unique name. Um, and his name was Paris Themen. So we were just like, well, let's like look him up. Now this is before the internet. Um, so basically I literally dialed um, information, dialed 411 and was like, give me the number to Paris Themen. And it was listed. He, he had a listed phone number. So called the phone number and this guy answers the phone and he's like, oh yeah, Paris doesn't live here anymore. Uh, he's moved to California. So we're like, oh, can we have that number? And he's like, uh, who is this? We're like, friends. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, gave us his number. Uh, didn't think that was suspicious at all. And so we ended up calling California and we we got him. And we were like, are you the, are you the Paris Themen who's Mike TV? And he was actually lovely. But he was, you know, he was laughed and he was like, I'm not admitting to anything. But I mean, we ended up talking to him for like, oh, I think for a couple of hours, I think. You know, he was... <laughs> He was very sweet, totally indulged us. He wasn't an actor anymore at that point. Um, And, uh, you know, answered all of our kind of burning uh, questions about, you know, various gestures or this or that, you know, kind of geeky stuff that that maybe, um, you know, between the characters of of Mike TV and and Willy Wonka and, you know, asked, you know, got his interpretation of events. And uh, and he he sent us a signed uh, autographed picture as well. Uh, he said he did not get very many of these calls at this point, that there was one one person who sort of in, in shaky handwriting would send him fan letters every now and then. But that was I think that's such a sweet story. Of, it's like the most sweet, wholesome story of like pre-internet fandom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so no, it, was, it was nice that we were able to kind of make that connection. And um, and yeah, and then that, that was it. I, I think probably around, you know, that was enough to sort of satisfy my, um, I don't know, Willy Wonka obsession and, and I, I don't think I really watched it quite as frequently after that it was just like it was nice closure I suppose to the whole thing <laughs> to your Willy Wonka period yeah well I would love to watch uh Willy Wonka with you and Laura and Bruno and Magnolia yeah I mean, it is a scary movie for a young kid it's scary, but when you also the funny thing is like it looks so rough around the edges compared to how things look now yeah i mean all the special effects are like not that special but it kind of adds to the charm no for sure although i don't know if if bruno and maggie yet have like 
you know, if their special effects like taste of are like super developed, maybe they are. You never know. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, at this point, I think we could totally thrill them with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thrill them. I, mean, it's, I love the music. One of the two. <laughs> I love. I love the music. The Candyman can. Yes. No. Absolutely. I mean, I even wrote fan fiction. <laughs> Well, I think actually inspired by your obsession with um, Mike TV in college, I had to do some kind of like, I guess like internet research project back or I don't really remember what it was, but it was back when like an internet research project was like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I like tried to find the Oompa Loompas, like what all the, what different Oompa Loompas were doing then now i mean yeah. now then yeah. um and uh it was like a funny early internet rabbit hole i i went down um, i don't think i reached out to any of them but it was it was fun just like finding them and i'm sure mike tv probably now has like a wikipedia page and whatever Maybe. back then you had to actually call 411 to find these people yeah yeah i had to do the blue thing <laughs> anyway um thank you so much for indulging me and um, and I I uh, I miss you guys. I Aww. can't wait to see you be back in New York. Absolutely. Well, we miss you too, and we will, and we'll definitely be back for Maggie's birthday, right in January. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So that'll be super fun. So we'll. I don't. Know. I don't. God, I don't know what we'll do. God, come winter, and you know the outdoors isn't really as much of a thing, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I love you. I love you too, honey. <laughs>